0: This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Well, here's the thing that's been in the media, but do we know much about it? This whole, what are they called? Section 501s, the deportees. I suspect listeners are like me, don't have a lot of sympathy. Uh, for people that are being deported, because it's reported in the news that they're all bad, bad, bad people, and we certainly have seen some bad behaviour, again, I guess, reported in the media, but there's Philippa Payne, who's been out there in New Zealand, and Australia, campaigning on this issue, knows a lot about the issue, knows the humanity behind the issue, and the law and the legal status and the history. And that's what we're going to explore today with Philippa. Good morning. Good morning, Rodney. How are you? Good morning, everyone. I am actually excellent. And I'm fascinated by you because you grew up a true ANZAC.
1: I did. I was born in Singapore. while My father was in the Vietnam War. And spent many years in my childhood traveling around army bases between New Zealand and Singapore.
0: And where the Australians and New Zealanders were fighting once again, side by side.
1: That's right. Uh, when I was based in Singapore with my family, Australia had an Air Force base in Malaysia. So we used to do a lot of inter-exchanging schooling and having that camaraderie right from our childhood through the armed forces.
0: Yeah. And so you feel, I guess, like the rest of us, apart from cricket and rugby, that Australians are our cousins.
1: I used to feel that. um, If they're our cousins, they're terribly good at inflicting trauma. So um, I must admit I'm a bit bruised with my feelings about Australia after – witnessing and seeing the things that I have for the last
0: 10 years. Well, we'll get to that, but I can understand that. And I mean, I guess where I was leading with that is this idea that since day one, we feel as though we've had Australia's back and we'd always feel as though Australia would have our back.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, Absolutely, as far as it goes in my home, in our community, in the army, um, mantra that was around, it was definitely ANZAC was our epiphany of of what we should be upholding.
0: Mm. And that, well, let's. You've spent a lot of time in Australia, Philippa, living.
1: I have. I lived there myself for around eight to nine years, and then in the last. Eight years I've travelled there numerous times to go and visit within the detention centres. So, yeah.
0: Detention centres, that sounds. And on
1: Christmas Island three times.
0: Detention centre sounds a, a, a word from the history books.
1: It's what they are. They're an immigration detention centre. And I wish that they were in the history books alone, but they're sadly still current.
0: Well, we're going to try and explain all this and. Or we'll just take it quietly. What got you involved in looking at deportees and detention centres?
1: Well, we need to take a step back first. Please. When I was living in Australia, I'm um, a mother of five. Good um, you. We had been there for, I think, around three or four years, and my oldest daughter wanted to go to university. Mm-hmm. And for her to achieve that at that time, she would have to – pay international student fees, which were going to be around $120,000 and not achievable for us. So the reality was that my daughter had to leave home and go back to New Zealand and start university here. Um, She came back to Christchurch and not long after the Christchurch earthquakes occurred. And myself, um, you know, I was a mother that knew that she was ready to fly the coop. We were ready for her to fly the coop as well. We wanted her to be an adult and we were to stand on her own two feet. However, we were a very tight family and it was very heartbreaking that she was not going to be able to come over on Sunday or we weren't going to be able to participate in her life in any sort of way. And I kind of got on the computer and started voicing my opinion that why was it that New Zealand-born children were not allowed to access student loans in Australia. And that's how it all started. It honestly all started from there.
0: So you felt uh, in shifting to Australia in working in Australia and paying taxes in Australia, having your kids go to school in Australia, that you, and being a Kiwi, And being welcomed in Australia, like you didn't even need, I guess, I suppose you need the passport, but no visa, that you felt sort of a citizen, but that you didn't carry an Australian passport. You felt equal to an Australian while you were living and working in Australia.
1: At that point in time, Australia was going to be our home forevermore. We had made the decision that this was going to be where we were going to settle, that it was far more achievable to have a lifestyle where we could afford having five children because very much I felt penalised in New Zealand for having a larger family, still Mm -hmm. do, Um, and it was where my children had become their own people, had their own community and were living their lives and it was about a good future and, yes, we thought that Australia was going to be our home forevermore.
0: And then this you got hit over the head by this reality that yeah. when it came to sending your child off to tertiary education, university, was it? University. Suddenly, mm-hmm. she's classified as an overseas student, mm-hmm. like she's turning up from China or Hong Kong or uh, United States of America. And exactly. it didn't matter. That you were living as of right in Australia earning in Australia and paying taxes in Australia and could do until the end of time
1: mm-hmm. it didn't matter one bit and you know I felt like that was real it was a penalization on my daughter mm-hmm. and you know it was a way to keep her dummified in many ways if she stayed in Australia she's mm-hmm. allowed the opportunity to higher education she's a bright girl She worked hard to achieve it and she passed her degree.
0: But if I may play devil's advocate, that was the rules, right? It's just you weren't aware of it at the time.
1: Mm -hmm. That was the rules, but the rules were so unknown at that time. It was really, very hard to get a direct question. Um, Even the immigration sites were contradicting on what information was being put out there. And... Mm. You know, you had uh, <laughs> so many different categories of visas for what New Zealanders were on. One Kiwis child could go to high school because they'd been here before a certain time. Another Kiwis child was born there but I couldn't see. go to high school and was um, couldn't become a citizen. My do- daughter couldn't get um, higher education because we came out after 2001. So there were so many different layers I that were finding so- out.
0: If if you had arrived in Australia in the year 2000, your child could have gone to university just like an Australian citizen's child.
1: No, my child would have had a pathway to residency.
0: Ah, and then could have gone.
1: And then could But have gone.
0: because you came after 2001,
1: mm-hmm. your
0: child didn't have a pathway to residency.
1: Really? We didn't have a pathway to residency. My husband, so, myself, or any of our five children – had no fair pathway to residency.
0: So if you stayed in Australia and worked forevermore, you could never become an Australian citizen?
1: Not, not with the rules that were in place at that time.
0: See, this is – it's easy for me to play devil's advocate, mm-hmm. but it's also not fair in a way mm-hmm. because we see the advertisements – that the the Australian government Uh is running in New Zealand newspapers, come over to Australia and Uh be a nurse and go over here and do this and help us out and help build Australia, which makes us who stay in New Zealand feel a bit like mugs. Uh And you see your family and friends heading over to Australia and living a great life, you think. But they don't tell you. And you wouldn't expect that you'd be treated the equivalent of, oh, I don't know, a Pakistani working in Dubai where you are definitely a second-class citizen and when it suits mm-hmm. them, they'll kick you out. Or you'll be a second-class citizen and not entitled. You'll put down your, you might, you know, you go over there, you'll meet a Kiwi, you'll get married, you'll have children. It's not part of your expectation in the whole package that 10 years down the track, say, your child can't access the same rights and privileges to tertiary education that an Australian citizen could.
1: Now, there's another key element that I learned then at the same time. My children, no matter how long they stayed in Australia, because they had no access to that pathway to residency, were never going to be able to vote. They would never be able to have a political representation for matters in their life if we remained in Australia.
0: See, I wouldn't have expected that. Like, that's a shock to me.
1: It was a big shock to me. It was a huge shock. And I'd also like to add, we were headhunted to go to Australia. My husband at the time was and asked to be brought over there and offered a job. They paid for our container. They paid for everything for us to go over to Australia to become part of their community. And we did. We did for four years. We were part of Australian community. And it, I want to point out here that me personally, that time period changed changed myself drastically. I I've had growth as a person. I learnt to become an adult. I learned that if I wanted to make friends with people, that life was about listening and not about just being about yourself. And I met the most amazing people in a town called Ballarat, just um, north of Melbourne, and those people showed me kindness that I hadn't seen in my own personal life for a long, long time. And that I will forever, ever be grateful for, Australia, Australia, is so intertwined with who I am as a person because that time period there it helped me define who I was going to become.
0: Was that because you found yourself as a mother and a wife setting up in a whole new community where you knew no one? whereas you'd always been in a community where you were known and where you knew people?
1: Well, sort of. You know, in the Army we travelled every two years, so it wasn't like I was permanently, you know, as an adult. It was more about going somewhere and being the person that I wanted to be Mm. and bringing kindness and things that I wanted to value in my life and having them accepted. Mm. Whereas living in Canterbury, where I had lived for the majority of my um, teenage years and the beginning of my marriage, I found it hard to make the changes of the person that I wanted to be when people's perception was always going to stay the same, when the environment was always going to stay the same. Yes,
0: I get that. I get that. You're sort of pigeonholed and you broke free of the pigeonhole that Mm -hmm. you had probably put yourself Mm -hmm. in in part and been put in by others. And then as an older, uh, as an adult, but older adult, not just a young adult, you say, okay, this is who I am and this is who Mm -hmm. I'm going to be. And you feel empowered. Very much so. And you seek out those friends that will empower you in that way rather than with the same old, same old friends. hmm Nice. And like me, you would head over to Australia, and I would think of it, I guess, as like shifting to the North Island. I mean, I know it's not quite the same. I'm in a different country, and I don't have a passport And I'm not an Australian citizen, but I would think as a Kiwi, it's a bit like when I go to the UK, I was quite shocked that I wasn't sort of welcomed with open arms and cuddled as a member of the far-flung British Empire, because I know this sounds old-fashioned, but I sort of felt I was going home. You know what I mean? Look,
1: um, there's, you know, I think back to certain points in my life that have been impacted by myself, and I was shocked when I moved to Australia at how different our cultures were. Um, I was shocked that Kiwis were ostracized so much. Um, It was a real reality check. I was extremely lonely. I can tell you that there were times that I used to ring up the telebanking just to tell my kids that I was on the phone to someone. (laughs) <laughs> you know, my on the phone. You know, really there's nobody there. But um it was it it was growing into adulthood for myself and you know what? It connected my family tighter. Mm. We were all experiencing new things. It made us go on more family trips, it made us more um, move as a unit in, in our sports. And our community and everything, and it was the right decision for my family at that time. Mm. Did I little did I know, little did I know though, um, how voicing about that our children couldn't get university was going to be the beginning?
0: Yes, so we get that now. What I don't understand is this lack of pathway to residency. Because, as I understand it in New Zealand, you sort of come here and you work away and you be a good citizen and you apply to become a resident. Which, as I understand it, correct me if I go wrong, Philippa. Here in New Zealand, you apply to become a resident. And I think it's almost a bit pro forma you know, you're working and maintaining a place and you're a good character. And you become a New Zealand resident at that point, as I understand it, you still keep your passport from your overseas country. Yes.
1: Wow, Australia wasn't doing that at the time as well. There was a lot of. New no, Zealand- but tell
0: me, tell me, is that am I correct about New Zealand, or maybe I don't you- know
1: all of? Okay, New Zealand and then.
0: So, you can become, I think I've got this right, and I'll get emailed if I got it wrong. You become a resident, and you might be on an, a, an English passport or a Russian passport, but you're a New Zealand resident. You're entitled then to come and go, you know, without a visa because you're a resident. And then the next step is to become a citizen. Which means you get a New Zealand passport. And again, that is just a process. If, as you, that phrase you use, there's a path to it. But what you're saying in New Zealand, uh, in Australia, if you're a New Zealander, there's no way for you to become a resident.
1: You had to meet certain pathways. Now, those pathways weren't obtainable for hundreds and thousands of Kiwis living in Australia at that time. You there was. You either had to be a skilled migrant. I'm, I won't be able to rattle all off all yes. of the pathways, but you know it's things like skilled migrant. Well, people in the mining industry don't always meet that. You know, yep. people working in the labour force don't always meet that. You yep. had to yep. earn over a certain amount of money in yep. some categories, and that one was ch- actually only changed until after we started advocating. There's been certain improvements that things have happened okay. along the way. But there was definitely no pathway for myself and family to apply for residency-citizenship because I personally, I would have got dual citizenship. I love New Zealand. New Zealand is my home base. New Zealand is every essence of who I am still, you know, but my future was going to be in Australia.
0: So when you say... There was no pathway. That's exactly what it was, because Mm -hmm. you could get the form, but there was no category which would allow you. So they were happy for you to work there, they were happy for you to live there, they were happy for you to pay taxes there and be entitled, I guess, to some level of government support, right? Your kids could go. Now let's pause here too. Yep.
1: Because after 2001, all right, I don't know if you've heard of the SCB visa, nope. Special Category Visa, John Howard put anyone that was entering Australia from New Zealand who had citizenship, placed them on the Special Category 444 visa, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, if you entered after 2001, you were deemed a permanent resident for tax purposes only. Ah. So my children could not access any disability insurance that they call over there, the National Disability Insurance, except New Zealand parents were the one nation that had to pay into that insurance but weren't allowed to access it for our children.
0: My goodness. Yeah. But they could go to school.
1: They could go to school, but if they had a disability they were not entitled to any funding at that school or at home to help them with their disability.
0: Well, you must look at these advertisements that are running in New Zealand right now for nurses with a very jaundiced eye.
1: Well, it's changed. It's changed since the 1st of July this year. June June this year, the 1st of June this year. (laughs) Now it it's change? complete. Now it's completely different, but it's been a long process to get it there.
0: So now, would there be a pathway for you?
1: Now there is a pathway for me. Yes. Oh,
0: how confusing! But here's
1: what I would like New Zealand to know, because we're under this illusion at the moment that everything is going to be go great and things are completely different. All right. If we're going to jump forward to somebody getting a residency now, you don't actually have to fit a category if you're in New Zealander, they've opened the pathway door. You don't have to have a medical exam to pass a medical, um, ex, you know, exam either. However, you still have to do a character test. Mm. Now, okay, I'm not fearful of that for myself. But let's be realistic that it still means there's going to be thousands of New Zealanders living in Australia that are not going to get that residency-citizenship, which means there's still going to be thousands of New Zealanders living in Australia that are still going to be coming through the deportation process.
0: And so that character test might be a criminal conviction, or you smoked a joint and got caught. Or association association oh okay so even in our even no criminal behavior but mm-hmm. you, were, you were seen to associate with criminals that would mm-hmm. be enough to knock mm-hmm. you back and then you've again in a category where you have no pathway to citizenship
1: not only will you not have no pathway to citizenship you just sort of then put yourself under the spotlight of the Australian immigration authorities. And
0: the chances are your life is probably going to change. Hmm. Okay, this is this is shocking to me. I'm sorry to say because I never knew this, and I apologise to you. And I apologise. Probably listeners are sitting at home saying, "Rodney, how could you be so stupid?" Um, easy, um, I'm a, I'm quite stupid. <laughs>
1: Well, you know what I mean. I didn't know
0: this. I remember it sort of vaguely, but it it didn't. I didn't look into it or study it. So, oh my goodness, this has a huge. I get the point now, because all I thought was some people had been to jail, been bad buggers, and they came out of jail, and Australia sent them back here, and we wish they didn't. And we felt, well, that's a bit weird because they've got family over there and kids over there, but they get sent here and can't see their kids, and it's a bit of a nuisance because they're causing trouble here, but you can sort of see, well, if if we could get rid of our bad guys, we would too. But what you're saying is this is far, far bigger than criminals. This is like your daughter. So um okay. you're on a good behaviour bond of a high standard and potentially an arbitrary standard and a potentially a snitcher standard because someone could snitch on you falsely and then you're having to defend yourself. You don't have any rights until you've got that residency.
1: Well, here's a really good time to bring up. We talk a lot about Section 501, but after that was because Section 501 has actually been in the Australian immigration since 1958. Yeah. But... In 2014, late 2014, they amended it. New Zealand hadn't been even in the top 10 of nationalities of people being deported from Australia. Once it was amended, within I think it was approximately five months, we were the number one nationality in Australian detention centres and since then, subsequent deportation and removals ever since. We have fluctuated at times with Iraq, going up and down, who's the number one people in detention. But New Zealand has been in the top two since
0: 2015.
1: Uh, Sorry, I forgot to add on here. There is another section, which is called Section 116. So Section 116 is far more draconic in many ways than Section 501. Because section one one six, if you've been charged with a crime, someone's come along and have accused you of a crime and it falls under an automatic falls under a category, it's automatic detention before the court of law. Whoa. Before you go to court. Before you even get a chance to defend yourself. And then what they do with section one one six. As they say to you when you're in detention after you've been there, you know, two years is the average for someone to start their appeal, to even get to the first stage of appeal. Once they're in there, they say to you, look, if you agree to go back to New Zealand, if you agree to be removed, even though you were born in New Zealand but you've been here three months, Bill, if you agree to go back to New Zealand, we'll give you the opportunity in three years to reapply You can possibly come back to Australia in three years. So, or you could go back to New Zealand and you could do your appeal there. Now, here's here's, here's how clever Australia are. People will come back to New Zealand and the charges in Australia will be dropped. So, they've been deported from Australia for an alleged crime, yet the charges are dropped, they've been removed to New Zealand, at the end of three years, they'll try and reapply to re-enter Australia, and they'll get cancelled under Section 501 on character grounds.
0: I get it. It's a beautiful catch-22. So let me get the picture. I could have gone over with my mum and dad to Australia when I was a baby. Mm-hmm. My mum and dad worked their entire lives in Australia. I go to school in Australia and I work in Australia, and I get married in Australia. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: As far as I'm concerned, yeah, I'm a New Zealander because I was born there, and I've got a New Zealand passport, but I never got around to it. And, in fact, I couldn't get around to it because whenever I looked into it, there wasn't a pathway. Mm -hmm. And there might have been a pathway at some point, but it kept changing, and I didn't have an immigration consultant, and I didn't really think it mattered. Mm -hmm. Then I get accused of a crime. And I get charged immediately, because I'm not an Australian citizen, I'm a New Zealand citizen, technically, I get detained. Mm -hmm. I'm actually in jail, correct?
1: Detention.
0: But it's like a jail.
1: It's worse than a jail.
0: Oh, really?
1: Oh, yes, it's way worse than a jail. And let's not forget that your arrest probably was worth. Uh, the federal police, the local police, the immigration department, the detention um, police, which they call um, ERT, and there could be anywhere between 12 to 40 people sending on your home to arrest you with guns. Because that's how it happens all the time. All the my time. My
0: wife, my kids.
1: Yep, they've seen it. They've come in, they've seen it all.
0: And I'm in worse than a jail Mm -hmm. because I'm outside of the proper jurisdiction Mm -hmm. of Australian law Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: I'm not a citizen.
1: And your visa that you have had issued has been revoked, meaning you go from any sort of scale of low... Um, Low—I don't know what they call them in prison right at the moment. You know, a low risk, and you're automatically ranked top risk. So you are not allowed while you're in there. You are not allowed access to any sort of education. You can't have access to any sort of visitations outside of detention. You are completely shut down to a high risk prisoner. Detaining, detaining.
0: And where are these detention centres, Philippa?
1: There's one in Melbourne, Maita. there's one in Brisbane, there's one in Sydney, there's one in Christmas Island, and there's one in Younger Hill Perth. And every so every detention centre um, is notorious for different things. Like I would say after, because I went, the last visit I did was towards the end of last year and I was really shocked when I drove into Brisbane Immigration Detention Centre. I've been there previously and it had been quite a wee hub. You know, they used to be able to allow the detainees to interact in, in amongst certain compounds and stuff. When I drove into that detention centre, it was such a wave of a stench of depression. There is the most still place I've ever been to my life. People are in compounds that are, you know, I don't know, six by ten, and they're not allowed out of those case compounds at all, apart from one hour a day, and that's it. They have to sit there, the same people, day after day after day after day after day. After day.
0: And the number one or number two person by nationality, in a detention centre or being detained, I think you're I'm picking up right. Is a Kiwi.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's break that down. Potentially,
0: the majority are, are, the biggest, the biggest citizenship in those detention centres. This is a scandal. Mm-hmm. The
1: biggest citizenship in the detention centres is New Zealanders, but let's break down what a New Zealand citizen. Might entail the majority of New Zealand citizens in detention in Australia are Maori and Pacific Islander
0: Mm -hmm. because they dominate because, um, Maori and Pacific Islanders dominate, I guess, in Kiwis heading to Australia. Would that be fair? Like, there's a lot of them,
1: there are a a lot of them because you know, for many, or are you
0: suggesting? there's a racial element to their being Absolutely,
1: picked up. Absolutely, 100%. I've been saying for eight years that Section 501 amendments are being racially implemented daily.
0: So this is like an all-white Australia policy?
1: Absolutely. It's another way of them re- reintroducing it. In 2015, oh, God, was it? I think it was 2016. Oh, sorry, my memory does not always carry the best of the years, Myself, Erin O'Moringa, Chris Barber and Calvin Davis travelled for about, you know, five days with us. We had, got hopped in a camper van and we travelled around every state bar Tasmania and visited people in the detention centres and went, also went into prisons um, to visit people that are being held for immigration matters. When Calvin Davis was talking to people along that trip and we were having hui's in the community, Calvin would get up and he would talk about how there was Operation Fortitude in Australia and that was when they stopped people at the Melbourne train station and they were asking them for their visas. Now, they weren't stopping white people. They were stopping people of colour to ask them. Where is your visa to be in Australia? Wow. Mhm. And that was mm-hmm. when Tony Abbott was Prime Minister.
0: So Calvin Davis was actually in your camper van.
1: Yep. Calvin Davis, very much from Labor Party before they came into uh, power, I guess, was a big advocate and politician talking about. Um, so
0: you're driving long, long distances mm-hmm. and clicks. he's sitting there. They sorry? called
1: them clicks. Clicks. Yep, yeah, we drove seven, 900 clicks in a day. With Calvin. Yeah. Uh, Calvin travelled from Sydney to the Gold Coast with us and then, and then I think after that he went back to New Zealand. But Calvin also travelled to Christmas Island.
0: And he was shocked. I would guess, like I would be, by what he discovered.
1: Mm -hmm. Very shocked.
0: He was And, you know,
1: one of the things I think about, you know, for me that I can remember in in my time in politics in New Zealand is there was actually a time when John Key was Prime Minister and Calvin challenged him in the beehive on the deportation issue, called John Key gutless, and, you know, it was all over the paper, and John Key's bodyguard pushed Calvin Davis out of the way. Mm-hmm. You know, that made national news here at the same time. I think it was like within a week, John Key stood up in the beehive here in New Zealand and called everybody on Christmas Island rapists, murderists, and gangsters. And to this day, I don't know if John Key actually realises how many people's lives he put at risk with that statement. Well, mm-hmm.
0: this is shocking to me because all the I female
1: th- politicians of New Zealand stood up and uh, and I don't I can't say all because you know I can't remember all of them. But I'm very aware that the majority of the Green Party female politicians stood up the next day and said that they did not um, stand for rapists, murderers, and paedophiles, but that they stood for human rights and what was going on on Christmas Island was wrong.
0: And Kelvin Davis was. Deputy Prime Minister, subsequently.
1: Well, as soon as Calvin Labour was elected, no one heard from Calvin anymore.
0: No, off in the way. So back to this issue, I could be on this Christmas island in a detention centre as a Kiwi, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: having lived and worked in Australia, married in Australia... But on serious charges.
1: Doesn't have but. to be serious, Rodney. Oh. No. The first well, time I went to Christmas Island, I was really shocked. Um, you know, every trip's been different. But the first time I went to Christmas Island, there was actually a lot of guards that were there at that time that were slipping me notes. Can you see this person? Can you meet this person?
0: The, the guards
1: that, Yep. Because the first thing that I noticed after that trip to Christmas Island was the high amount of, of literacy. People were unable to read. All of their immigration papers were overwhelmed. I met a person there that was there for graffiti. I met people that have been in detention for shoplifting. It does not have to be a high charge. The other thing we need to probably talk about here is cheapest, you know, cheapest, cheapest, 501. Cheaper when they amended it, they amended it so that if anyone has had any court-appointed consequences for a charge, be that drug rehabilitation, um, counselling, mental illness clinics or incarceration, that could be accumulated to, if it's over 12 months, automatically you're placed in detention. Now, here's the big thing about that, that change that happened, is they made it retrospective. So, yeah, so we, <clears throat> the highest people at risk of being placed in detention centre in Australia are the long-term residents. The people that have been there 30, 40, 50 years think that everything about them is Australian, think that they're completely safe, but they do not have citizenship. Australia will now accumulate throughout your lifetime and if you've been had anything court-appointed over 12 months, you're placed in detention. So, believe me, there was lots of people that I got run from inside detention that had not committed any offences for 20 or 25 years. But because they'd had an offence that mounted over the 12 months, they were in detention.
0: You're on Reality Check Radio. It's real talk with Rodney Hyde, and Rodney Hyde is here trying to pick his jaw off his desk because to me, Philippa, you're just lobbing bomb after bomb after bomb at me, and I feel guilty of not looking into something. You know what I mean? I had no idea, and I feel naive. I actually feel betrayed a bit uh, because I, really I just I just assumed that to be in a detention centre in Christmas Island, you were, as John Key said, a rapist and a murderer and a beater up of wives or something, but you could be a graffiti artist, or a shoplifter, Mm -hmm. um, or be accused of that, not yet gone to Mm -hmm. court. Or you could be an upright citizen who had some criminal charge or misdemeanor 25 years ago Mm -hmm. that means you get arrested by the Mm -hmm. federal police and dumped in a detention centre. Yep. Which, as you describe, is worse than a prison. Mm-hmm. And you're in this detention centre with your visa, your right to be in Australia reversed. And everyone would be sitting there listening to this or me, and you'd be thinking, oh, well, just pop back to New Zealand. But hang on, you've le- lived your entire life in Australia, you've got a wife,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you've got children. You may Mm -hmm. have grandchildren, you've got all Mm -hmm. your friends, you've got your business, you've got your job. Exactly. But here you are banged in detention Mm -hmm. and New Zealand means nothing to you. It may as well be Iceland. Mm -hmm. Not much different in a way to a detention island. (laughs) So then they say to you when you're in this detention island, just, They come along and they say, well, if you hop back to New Zealand, you can get out of this detention centre and in three years reapply to come back in.
1: Only under Section 116, under Section 501. We know know you're not going to get in. Yeah,
0: Yeah. we know you're not going to get in. So the ones that are sitting in a detention centre not prepared to come back to New Zealand, Mm -hmm. what are they hoping for?
1: change they're hoping to be treated most of all like human beings really I mean you know the average stay for anyone in an Australian immigration detention centre is 780 days while you're in there you will witness the most horrific scenes you will be treated in the most barbaric way one of the reasons why it's different to a prison system is you know prisons are have to uphold certain categories, you know, have to uphold certain human rights and, you know, we're supposed to be able to inspect them and some are even state-owned, you know, We're in New Zealand. In Australia it's not like that in the detention centre at all, at all. And, you know, one of the, the things that your jaw will drop because over the years I have been sitting here going, I can't get shocked anymore. And then you get shocked some more because one of the most saddest things that I wish New Zealand would understand is the people that are working in the detention centres, the people that are running the detention centres, the majority of them are Kiwis. That they changed the spectrum of who they employed in the detention centres as New Zealand became the number one nationality. All of a sudden, it wasn't just, and I don't want to sound discriminative here, it wasn't just Asian or someone from a different nationality who was probably quite lean in their stature. Now we've got Pacific Island Maori men who are broad, who are brawn, who can hold their own, and they started employing our own people to be able to counteract what was going on in there. And the abuse of culture that I've seen inside those detention centres is shameful.
0: And presumably, some of those working in the detention centres don't have permanent residence.
1: That's exactly right. (laughs) That is exactly right. And I tell you what, if they did what they did in the detention centre outside of it, they'd most definitely be charged with a crime. Like what? Assault common, a common, happens daily, you know, like drugs, who brings it into the detention centres, mainly the staff, you know, the hypocrisy that goes on in these places is just mind-boggling.
0: I can understand now why you're into this, because it so offends your sense of justice, doesn't it?
1: Look, before I went to do this interview today, I tried to promise myself, try and do it without crying, right? Because it does bring back to an emotion. I have never had anyone in my family directly go to prison, be placed in a detention centre. When I travelled around Australia in that camper van and we went into detention centres and I sat across from men who, if you're walking down the street, you'd probably be quite intimidated by. However, when I'm in detention centre and especially what happened that day and most of the time, I meet with men particularly because the majority are men who are overwhelmed, who are scared, who are fearful, who are so concerned for their families, who don't have any comprehension of why this is happening or how they can change it. And it's trauma. It is true trauma that you sit across and you see. And, you know, you said before, you know, why isn't people in detention centre, why don't they decide to come back to New Zealand and more of them come back here? Well, let's stop at a moment and think, how does New Zealand treat them? Why would you want to come back here? Because as soon as they fly on our shores, we criminalise them as well. We're an oh, extension yeah. of what Australia does.
0: Oh, are. I agree. I, if, I, if a Section 501 shifted next door, I'd be alarmed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we you don't even have...
1: ask them, though. You know, we huh? just presume.
0: So how many Kiwis do we know, have been deported in this way?
1: 3,200 was the last statistics that I myself saw. I believe that has grown.
0: So your daughter, if you were still in Australia, not only is not, was not only not entitled to go to university, or had to pay as a foreign overseas student, I should say, Mm -hmm. at that time had no pathway to become a resident, Mm -hmm. and one slip-up, and I say slip-up because you're saying it can be a misdemeanor, Mm -hmm. but even the allegation of a Mm slip-up, she could find herself arrested Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and detained Mm -hmm. Without a hearing.
1: Mm-hmm. And so could I.
0: Well, I wouldn't live there under any of the, I wouldn't live there under any circumstance under those conditions.
1: Well, that's why I'm here.
0: No, I wouldn't.
1: Um, when I say that, the choice was not voluntary to come back to New Zealand. We, My ex-husband's job asked him to relocate to New Zealand. I was not happy with that. I wanted to stay in Australia. I had already started advocating with Iwi and Oz. I was already out there holding protests, trying to you know, bring enough attention and awareness about what was going on. And um, he made the decision to come back. And I, for the next two years, really went downhill. I was quite depressed and overwhelmed. I was like I'm right back where I left however I knew you know like there's a strength and I knew that there must have been a reason why I was here and I have never wanted to be a person to put myself out there for any sort of anything apart from I knew it was about being a voice and so I have just consistently at every opportunity, try to bring education and awareness and as the advocacy developed, made the pathway so that other people could share their story Mm. because we are not going to know the truth if we just read about it from one person and their story for their whole life. It's about getting lots of people's stories out there because as 3,200 people have come back to New Zealand... I've been saying every family in New Zealand is going to be affected soon. Every family is going to know someone, be it in your immediate line or your wider now, who's been removed from Australia for some reason.
0: It's a funny thing that you say, because I need a rifle to control rabbits. And I won't get one because... I went through the process of applying for a gun licence and as I understood it, it would mean that a policeman could come into my house without a search warrant and check my house out. And there's no way on God's earth I would surrender my right to privacy and not having a policeman just barge in without having to go and see a judge. That's bad enough, funnily enough, for me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to live day in and day out thinking that any policeman deciding to annoy me mm-hmm. because of my political views or whatever could just walk in to knock on my door and say, coming in. So that's,
1: no. that's happened though. Yes. You know, that's happened. But you know, if, we, if we take a moment and we look at, two men that have been publicised throughout Australian media as notorious bad men, who I've met personally, who are in their late 60s and have lived in Australia for over 50 years. Their mother is on her deathbed, and they stood against, in the um, state of Tasmania, I believe it was, or or South Australia, they stood in a court case against the state government there, About bringing in association laws and club laws, they won. Now I have seen the immigration papers, which state that they are a threat to national security of Australia because of that court case. These men have only had two convictions for marijuana in their whole entire lifetime, one each, and they're brothers, and they are publicised continuously.
0: Yes, so this is my point. So I wouldn't live in Australia now, knowing what you've just told me, Uh because I feel terrified enough of the situation that I'm in in New Zealand. But you poke your head over the parapet like these two gentlemen have, Uh the media and the politicians and the system can destroy you. And Absolutely. lock you up. Absolutely. And you can be sitting there screaming
1: uh-huh.
0: about your rights, uh-huh. but your point is you have none.
1: You have none. Now, there's two things, you know, like when, when my staff and Irina, because Irina Moorunga and I started Route 501 together, she um, is still, of course, as part of Group 501 as a campaign, but she's now gone on to become a migration agent. So the advocacy work in that she couldn't actually do because, you know, she has to live within certain guidelines of her role. As time developed, the advocacy became about so many different things, so many different things. But, like, I can tell you of people that I have met that are transgender that have been attacked by the Sydney and and targeted by the Sydney police repetitively and now are in Wellington you know, they didn't do a crime at all. There is plenty of innocent people that have been removed from Australia, plenty. And I can also tell because you that the time the I police... travel into it, I go into Australia, I fear myself. You know, <laughs> I'm a target.
0: Yes, you would be. Because the police can easily provoke you.
1: Or say something that's, you know, their perspective. And yes. please, I don't want to sound like I'm negative about police
0: because they do, no, no, you know. No, but they, the point is that yeah. it's easy to end up. If if a police officer wants to put you on the wrong side of the law, mm-hmm. they can readily do it. And oh. you rely on their goodwill, their honour, and, and them upholding the badge and the integrity. Mm-hmm. And if they're prepared not to do that, and we've seen that in New Zealand all too recently if they're not prepared to do that they can achieve any effect any result so you're actually living it's it's dystopian that you can just that the, and of course that doesn't matter whether it's 3200 or 200 or 12000 the point is it can happen mm-hmm.
1: and and as we know You know, like, as I said earlier, that the laws have changed since this year. And we will have a lot more people, I believe, from New Zealand exit to live in Australia because those pathways are now open. They're not being fully aware of the vulnerabilities that are still in play for them as well. But the deportation is still going to keep going. We're at 3,200 now. Even I will admit we're struggling as a country. We're struggling to deal with the issues that the deportation removal brings into play in our country. What the hell are we going to do when we hit the ten thousand mark? Indeed. What are we going to do? Um, the
0: do Kiwis in Australia know how vulnerable they are?
1: Generally, not until it happens to them. Because our, our typical
0: view, our typical view is that that as long as I behave myself, nothing bad will happen to me. Oh yeah. But you and I aren't that naive, are we?
1: No. Let's let's talk about the car accidents. You know, I've met people that have been working in Australia for twenty years driving trucks. They've had a car accident and they've somehow been done for manslaughter or, you know, charge of a vehicle or something that they might charge them for, that consequence could end them up placed in an incarcerated or community detention or detention centres. We've got Kiwis that were driving trucks in Australia that I know of myself that had brain aneurysms but they couldn't access any social support or any insurance. So they had to keep driving. One of the first articles that came out in New Zealand about someone being removed from Australia to New Zealand was a man who actually stole a credit card. And with that credit card, he purchased a wheelchair. Now he purchased that wheelchair because his daughter was in hospital. The hospital would not release his daughter to him unless he had a wheelchair. He couldn't afford a wheelchair. He stole a credit card, wrong thing to do. I will never condone that he did the right thing to do. But instead of looking at the action, let's look at the whole story. Because that man was charged with fraud, which is one of the hardest convictions. Once you're charged with fraud, you're pretty much guaranteed to, going to be removed. He's now living in New Zealand. His daughter is in Australia. It's heartbreaking. There's I'm, thousands of stories out I'm sorry, there's nothing,
0: there's nothing I can say. I've lost for words. I'm lost for questions.
1: You know, one of the hardest radio interviews I ever did was when um, it was a talkback radio station and a gentleman rang up and he talked about the fact that his father had only been released from detention a week before he passed, that even though he had a life-threatening illness, was not allowed to be reunited with his family where he had lived for 40 years, and they let him out of detention a week before they passed. And here's why they let them out of detention – because if he'd stayed, he would have been a death in custody. So instead of giving him compassion six months beforehand to have some time with his family, they let him out in his deathbeds. The stories, Rodney, the heartbreaking, yes. Unfortunately, there is a percentage of the 501s deportees that are not good in their soul. But there is a huge amount of people that have been rehabilitated that have had some life-altering event happen with them. And since then, they've been demonised.
0: Are there women in detention centres?
1: Absolutely. Kiwi women? They're normally kept in the uh, Perth detention centre, which is at the Perth detention centre. In Perth, there's two. There's one in a little township called Yonga Hill, which is right next to the sewerage, kept right next to the local sewerage and often flood. And then there's another one at the Perth Airport. Just as you walk out of those gates, when you come out of the Perth Airport, if you turn to the right, you'll see after the car park, you'll see some mesh fences and then a building. And that there is a detention centre. And that detention centre, they deem it as their medical transfer detention centre. And I know people, it's, it's smaller than a house, right? It's a very, very small detention centre. I've met with people that have been there for over eight years in that one detention centre. Never
0: smelling
1: those, smelling those gas fumes because it just stinks from the airport. But they so tell me there. about eight years. Oh, eight years. Eight years. That that man that I met, he's not a New Zealander because as as time developed and you know we have a lot of advocacy in the world for people with, with refugees. And I totally support that as well. But there was no one advocating for for 501s. And so as I became advocating more and more, I learned that I couldn't just be the person advocating for New Zealanders, that it had to be one voice for everybody.
0: Yes, good for you. One
1: of the things in detention centres that is huge in its um, atmosphere is it's very nationalised. It's very segregated by your nationality. Whereas in prison, you're segregated by your crime. You've got categories. You know, shoplifters don't generally get put in the same section as a person that's done murder. In detention, no categories. You've got people that are there for graffiti, bunking next to people that are there for murder, sleeping next to somebody that's there for association, and so on. They're all together.
0: Isn't it strange because I'm sitting here saying to myself, hmm, I wonder why, you know, this isn't reported in the media because it's a horrific story. And then I think, oh, yeah, media. Ah. <laughs> and that's how it allows for a prime minister such as John Key
1: mm-hmm.
0: to dismiss them
1: mm-hmm.
0: as, what was it, murderers, rapists, what was the other thing? Pedophiles. Murderers,
1: breakfast, gangsters,
0: and pedophiles. That's pretty disgusting. <laughs> yep. So you're saying that put people at risk because they come back to New Zealand mm-hmm. and they might have been done for shoplifting twenty years ago, mm-hmm. but the prime minister has called that person one of four categories. Mhm.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It was, it was so distressing in detention when John Key said that. So distressing.
0: And he would know that he was wrong.
1: Oh, of course he would. Of course he would. But he was getting called out on his inaction to do anything to advocate for our country that was being affected by this, even though it's happening in Australia.
0: Well, and picture this. As far
1: this. as that goes. Why is Australia having immigration detention centres in the Pacific? Full stop. Because it's such a big, wider question statement. Every Pacific island has been affected. Full stop. Tonga stopped taking deportees for four years. Tonga became the second highest nationality of citizens in indefinite detention. Tongan men never to be able to get out of detention in Australia because Tonga wasn't obligated to take them back.
0: So your granddad's (laughs) in a trench at Gallipoli, Mm -hmm. fighting and dying with his mates, and in that moment is forged the Anzac legend and spirit. Mm -hmm. They could never have imagined that a hundred years on Mm -hmm. there would be New Zealanders held in detention. Exactly. Which is worse than jail.
1: Mm -hmm. My mother says that my grandfather would curl over in his grave if he knew what was going on. He would. And what I've said repetitively is ANZAC was formed on the battlefield. It is not owned in Parliament.
0: No. Well, Philippa, you have left me speechless. I'm not dead, but I still curled over (laughs) when you described to me what's happening. I appreciate what you've done and what you're doing. You've certainly opened my eyes. I'm looking forward to the feedback from listeners because they may have their own stories or own experiences. They may have a different view. Mm -hmm. And we may have you back if there's questions for you, if you wouldn't mind. But I've got to thank you because you have seen injustice and you haven't looked the other way. No. And it's easiest thing in the world just to look away. And I'm ashamed about John Key. And you got to wonder how People can sleep at night at times. I can't imagine what those conditions in those detention centres are like. I just, it must be horrific. We will look into this, Philippa. Can you please stay in touch? Yes. And I hope we get lots of feedback. The feedback is email me at inbox at rarelycheck.radio. Text me at twenty fifty seven. This is about humanity, isn't it? Just what is it to be a humane person? To be to have some humanity, and the idea that um, we're not talking some. I don't know how to do this in a non-judgmental way, but you know we're not talking about some third-world hellhole state that you Mm -hmm. wouldn't want to end up in jail in because you know you wouldn't be able to fall back on your rights. We're talking about Australia, and we're talking about Kiwis. And I can imagine if a New Zealander was arrested in Timbuktu, Kurdistan, or some horrible place for dealing drugs, our embassy would be there helping. But if you're in Australia... No, because as the Prime Minister says, you're these sort of dirty, filthy people. Well, we've had enough of being called names um, because we've seen a lot of it lately and it's a way of trying to end a political debate and a debate about people being citizens, just like you and I, just like each other. And when you read those ads about or come to Australia, well... Remember Philippa's story. And also, if you've got family and friends in Australia, check their status with them. Ask them, did they know? Because I could promise you, if it were me, I'd be getting my family to hell out of there because that's not a safe place to live, not a place where you don't have rights, not a place where you don't have a resort to hear your charges in a court of law. No. Philippa Payne, you have given us a real talk, and I thank you for that, and I look forward to having you back. Thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you for having me on, Rodney.
0: Well, we're blessed, to be honest, because um, you're like a very special person. Walking amongst the demonised through no fault of their own, quite often, and even yeah. even if they have done wrong, they have a right to their day in court. Absolutely, they
1: do.
0: I'm and, I'm uh, actually I'm actually quite emotional. I'm very sorry. Uh, I um I'll end I'll end the interview, and we shall talk. Uh, this is real talk with Rodney Hyde, Really Check dot Radio, and. The poor host has had too much reality this morning. I'm going to just have to call it there. Thank you for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.